Rusty Quill presents. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode, the first episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club for Season 5. Uh, it's been it's been all summer since I talked to you guys like this last. This is for those of you who are new to the podcast and maybe just turning it on for the first time. This is not one of the uh, horror story episodes. This is not one of the canon West Side Fairy Tales fiction episodes. This is a nonfiction chat around the fire <laughs> with only me alone in my room talking to myself um, about uh, horror and, and literature. We're going to do the recommendations for the month, which are the American Horrorplex Haunted House in Louisville, Kentucky, where my, my current hometown, and the uh, really just incredible independent webcomic Kill Six Billion Demons by Tom Parkinson Morgan. 
an American cartoonist. <laughs> uh, we're going to get to the recommendations at the end. That's when we normally do them. And I'm just going to start off talking about, uh, you know, the summer, some stuff I've been watching, some stuff I've been, I've been, I've been listening to, some stuff I've been reading. I think the thing that uh, is just right on top of my head for, for, for the moment is the Lovecraft Country adaptation on HBO that aired um, from, I don't know, I guess it would have been July through October here. And it just finished up running this last Sunday before this episode is going to come out. And um, I have some feelings about it. Lovecraft Country is an adaptation of a book by the same name by Matt Ruff, who I am not remotely familiar with as an author, but I should I should probably follow up on him some. The executive producers are J.J. Abrams, Jordan Peele, who got the most name recommendation or name recognition from this, and uh, the showrunner is somebody named Misha Green, who I am I am not very well aware of at all. She's basically done this and a historical drama called Underground, which I have only just heard about. She was a staff writer for Heroes, Sons of Anarchy, and a show called Helix. I've seen the first two and uh, didn't finish either of them. Uh, I started off watching Lovecraft Country and loved it. The first episode is amazing, and I thought it would set up this uh, sort of... I don't know. I, I, my, my expectations were something, first off, a lot more Lovecraft and maybe, you know, not, not, not to the man himself, but definitely more the feeling of his stories, which is a misty, broody, stark, awful uh, sort of feeling, you know? I don't feel, if, I, if, if, if you're not in the mists and just adjacent to the woods and walking around old, old old city streets where all the bricks are sort of uneven and everything seems sort of wet. I feel like everything in a in a in a Lovecraft story is always just a little wet to the touch, like a men's bathroom at a bar. <laughs> and and in that same sort of grimy where you know you're like, oh God, I don't want to touch anything, but I might have to. Uh that that sort of aesthetic was got sort of built in the first episode and then almost completely completely abandoned afterward i would say this um this entire show has almost nothing to do at all with uh with lovecraft mythos eldritch horror mythos type things if i I would strongly caution people that are getting into this thinking it is going to be um lovecraftian or that it's even going to take place in Lovecraft country, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed as I was for for most of the uh, middle of the story. Um, if it, if anything, I would say this. There's no there's no nice way to say uh, 1950s serials country because that is completely on the money uh, and should been should have been uh, gone into. Much more, I feel like uh, they did themselves a disservice with this, and it's another thing. It's the second thing that I I, I went into this season where uh, the, the the title of the work 
had fucking nothing to do almost at all or was completely, completely sideways from what the book was actually or the the, the work, the intended work was actually about. Lovecraft Country follows uh, a young man named Atticus. He's a soldier come back from the war, the war in question being the Korean War, the Forgotten War, uh, which I, I guess is one of the first wars that we fought that I think he was in an, in an integrated unit uh i'm not sure if that's the case or not um my grandpa fought in the korean war and i I still don't know too much about it except for things that i had to scream about it in boot camp frozen chosen surrounded on all sides chesty puller five navy hearts whatever four navy four navy not navy hearts navy crosses there we go like i'm gonna get in trouble and one marine's gonna listen to this and be like Uh, if you've ever read any 1950s, 1960s era serials, this is all of that shit. It feels like that's what was intended from the get-go. I've never read uh, Lovecraft Country, the book. I might get around to it. I'm not sure. Uh, I have a thing with people saying that they're writing. I, I guess everybody kind of feels different about Lovecraft. I mean, obviously not the person. Yes, it, it's kind of hard to even talk about this shit. Eldritch Horror. People feel different about Eldritch Horror, especially that of Lovecraft's bent, ignoring all the racism and shit. Just literally the aesthetics of of how that, that sort of show or that sort of um, story is supposed to feel. And I have my own. I, I want it to be very... Uh, close to the Silent Hill sort of interpretation of Eldritch Horror. Un, uh, unimaginable monstrosities, really disgusting monsters, people that have been mutated, and uh, things like that. Foggy streets, mysteries. I want somebody to pry the lid off of a dusty box, <clears throat> and they're coughing you know, the pry bar in some basement while, while someone else is checking up some, some dark, unlit staircase with a lantern. That is, that's like Lovecrafty feel to me. You know what I mean? And the, uh, the eldritch horror genre, like cosmic horror, whatever the fuck. Uh, that's a whole sideways discussion that uh, really doesn't have that much bearing on this show anyway. Uh, they kind of mention like, hey, you know, Lovecraft's a racist. He wrote, he wrote mean poems about black people. And it's like, yeah, he did. Everyone knows that he's a fucking piece of shit. Um, and, uh, you know, even if they would have gone up there, that would have been more interesting. But what you get instead for Lovecraft Country after the first two episodes, which is a linear, a linear story, which is very rushed at the end. Um, the, the show sort of falls off the rails and you get uh, more like serials, which are short, basically, you know, pulp fiction short stories and, and and tiny little bits and bits and chunks and little little uh morsels of of ideas of stories like you know the the classic the very classic what if genre where the entirety of the story is what if you know like what if uh, a little girl was scared of the 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 cover of a book and was chased by it you know uh, which i feel like i I am 99% sure that a kid seeing something scary on the cover of a ch- otherwise like child's book, in this case it's 
Uncle Tom's Cabin, which I don't know how for children that is. I know mostly children read it, but um, and then that 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 thing comes alive and chases the person, and it's a distended, sharp-mouthed creature. I feel like fucking Stephen King has done that like three times now. Not even like, not even joking. Let's see times I can remember. It. I think I can remember it happening. Obviously, Charlie the Choo Choo in 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 the Dark Tower series comes up immediately. Also, I think very strongly that the mummy that no one ever talks about in it is off of the cover of a book and and it's the same mummy and i think there's like one more there might even be two or three who knows um but that was a good episode so you know like like i said it falls off the rails and you start doing like singular uh people get their own episodes sort of you know some of the side characters get their own little episodes and they are, uh, they get a little hard to follow. The writing isn't great. Um, you can tell there's a lot of different voices in it. And at some point, someone was kind of just unable to weave everything together in a tight knit way. There's a lot of scenes that drag on to the deficit of, of much more important and interesting scenes, which are, are cut short. I mean, one of the most notable is episode uh, two, which is this, uh, these three of the characters are trapped in this, this rich white person's house and they're being toyed with for the amusement of, of the, uh, the white people that are, are, are in attendance who are all wealthy members of some sort of wizarding cult and uh, all of the more interesting stuff going on, which is, you know, uh, the main character's relationship to this, why any of these people are here, why this is going on, the why, the what if is, is why, you know, why is the answer to what if kind of, and um, you don't really, you don't really get a lot of answers and the answers that you get are fairly paltry. And then at the very end, like the, the major issue is just suddenly, and I mean quite suddenly, just resolved. And then, uh, and, and, and then we go on to the rest of the plot. And that's not to say that it's a completely unenjoyable show. It's actually pretty fun. Once I kind of accepted that it wasn't going to be very uh, Lovecraftian or even uh, very serious, uh, then I, I started to take it. I started to uh, I started to enjoy it more, and it really it falls apart in the middle episodes, and then sort of comes back pretty strong toward the end. Some of the middle episodes I can barely, barely even uh, remember what happened in them because they were so odd or 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 like just disconnected from the plot in any meaningful way. Um, yeah, and <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. I feel like I'm, I'm like taking, like I'm taking it out on this show, and I really, I really shouldn't. At, at the end, I'd say go watch it, go watch it and see for yourself. There's probably a lot of people that would enjoy it. If I had to say anything, it would be uh, this is very much like 
American horror story. It is, it is, uh, it, it, it attacks serious issues. It does a lot of emotionally manipulative relations with serious issues. But, you know, it's not a very serious show. It's pretty campy and sometimes it's extremely serious, but the tonal shifts aren't done very well. The special effects, I will, I will take uh, one of the final, one of the final asides in this. The special effects are terrible, start to finish in this show, um, and it's not just the case with. The, I guess HBO is like going out to some other studio. Maybe the people that worked on uh, Game of Thrones are done, but you know this is the 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 the, the um. This is the channel that I associate True Blood with. And there's no special effects that are done in this that weren't done to some similar degree in True Blood. Uh, there's a lot of bleeding. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of like flesh sloughing off of, of, of bodies and, uh, you know, gore effects, gore effects, gore effects. And they are all digital and they all look like shit. Like, fuck, they are bad cartoony it's cartoony and it and, and, and it really adds to the fact that like overall i don't know what to get out of this story um the ending is yet again predictable not very satisfying there's a lot of questions that are are, are brought up and never really addressed and you know if you're gonna have a plot hole or two whatever i don't care but the thing is is like a lot of the questions that are brought up are more interesting than what's going on in the show. Like by the end of it, I really don't care much for Atticus as a person. He's kind of not a great character. Uh, most of the people that are around him are, are more nuanced and interesting. Uh, he's, he starts off pretty good, but he never gets much deeper than being kind of over his head and upset. He's a very angry person, uh, which he has a lot of, reasons to be angry uh he's been lied to by his dad people are trying to kill him but i just i don't get a lot of good like moments from atticus that that sort of let him expand as a person beyond the confines of the plot um there's a relationship that he's in with a woman that he met in korea which is she's some sort of uh, sex murdering spider monster. Uh, that <laughs> that episode, um, that's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> I won't even get into it, uh, but it is um, it's it's pretty. It, it's pretty wild. Uh, Michael K. Williams is uh, Montrose Freeman, who's Atticus's dad, who gets special special awards for being the most like just just shit on character in the entire show. <laughs> His the entire beginning of it and, and the interesting plot that should have I feel like just been the plot of the show because it's enough. It's got a goal and it'll get you there is that uh, Montrose Freeman, Atticus's uh, dad, played by – he's the same guy that plays um, 
Omar in The Wire. Uh, legendary, legendary character. And um, he's such a good actor. Uh, Michael K. Williams is amazing. He is nuanced. He's interesting. And he he saves his character of Montrose Freeman, who is found in episode two. Um, and then and then subsequently disregarded. Uh, he's got all kinds of he, he he exists basically just to make trouble. He's he's a secret, uh, a closeted homosexual man who exists to uh, make trouble basically for his uh, very well built and very very straight son, who's clearly not cool with the fact that he's a gay dude. Um, and he almost gets some good moments and he just gets pooped on. He gets pooped on like religiously, um, start to finish, uh, journey Smollett is Letitia Letty Lewis, who is Atticus's, uh, uh, sort of paramour. And, and later she is carrying his child. She's one of the soul or never mind. I won't get into, uh, I won't get into spoilers in this. Um, we have Anjanui Ellis as Hippolyta Freeman, one of the most bizarre characters, bizarre characters in this show. Her episode just goes off the fucking rails. And um, <laughs> it kind of, it's, it's one of those, you know, I don't want to get into spoilers, but it is, uh, a wild ass ride of an episode that uh, I enjoy alone, sort of. It gets extremely corny at points, extremely fucking uh, navel gazingy, uh, especially compared to like the rest of the plot that's going on. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah. And uh, then there's there's Ruby, Letty's Letty's half sister. It's a small cast, and somehow I don't feel like I know that much about them, motivations wise, like why they do almost any of the stuff that they do, other than that they feel like they kind of have to, or that like you know like they're they're forced to. Their relationships to things are kind of banal or dry or, or, or curious. I feel like I want to just talk about this more, like maybe in an independent video, but ultimately I would say, check it out. The show is deeply flawed. Uh, I would be, I would be suspicious of anyone that says this is a perfect show. Um, it is, It is an it is an odd uh, ten episode ride, but check it out, check it out, especially if you don't have anything else, anything else to uh, to look at. The other things I want to talk about are are Hulu's Books of Blood and uh, Hubie Halloween by the 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 man, the myth, the legend himself, Adam Sandler. Uh, <laughs> Books of Blood, I didn't really like it overall. So Books of Blood is a uh, 2020 adaptation of Barker's same short story compendium that was released back in the mid-80s. So it is fairly old. Uh, Older than me, as a matter of fact. 
35 years-ish, and it is directed by Bra- Brandon Braga, written by Adam Simon, who I, I don't know, um, and Brandon Braga, and stars Britt Robertson, Frida Foschen, Nicholas Campbell, and, and, and some other people. I, I don't... They would probably prefer I didn't mention that their names <laughs> were associated with this project. Uh, Books of Blood is not good. Books of Blood is fucking boring. It is... Um, an hour and 45 some odd minutes of just disjointed, dull, and and grossly uninteresting storytelling. Um, the first story follows a young woman whose name I, I, I neither remember nor care to look up because she's boring. And if you're, if you're that boring, I'm not going to remember your name. She is a very wealthy white girl who lives in a very nice house on the ocean uh, clearly some like uh, LA type stuff it's that uh, 1960s all the whole house is made out of glass type thing it's it's a really cool house i thought they would spend some time in it they do not she has developed misophonia which is when you don't like sounds um chewing uh and like basically anything, people talking, but mouth sounds especially are, are bothersome to her. So she goes around with headphones all the time. And um, for reasons I can't quite remember, she steals uh, money from her, her wealthy parents and, and runs away. I think uh, actually she heard her, her, her parents having sex uh, on, the, on the floor above or below where she, she lives. I can't remember the layout of their house. It's inconsequential to this. From there follows her journey out into some fuckware, uh, middle America. I think she ends up in, I don't know. Well, let, let's just say she ends up in rural Ohio, suburban Ohio, um, where I grew up because this is kind of what it looks like out there. Yet again, everything's always wet. It's like fall. She stays at a bed and breakfast for no reason. Like she basically sees some guy following her on a on a bus and and hops off of the bus and the first place that she can find on her phone mind you on her phone and looking it up on i know she's actually in an internet cafe i apologize she looks she goes to an internet cafe in america which is uh hilarious because those are not something uh that exist in any part of America that I've ever lived, which is all the parts except for the places where uh, famous writer types and screen artists live. <laughs> I suppose maybe in New York City or, or Los Angeles, they might have internet cafes. I'm familiar with them from the time I spent overseas. They're very popular in you know, Iraq, uh, the entirety of the Middle East, really. I know that they still have them in Germany and... Um, other parts of Europe, they are not a thing in America, especially not ones with actual computers you can use. You can go to a cafe cafe, but this is an internet cafe. As I remember, I could be completely wrong, but I'm so upset about it that I, I keep thinking about it. So I think it's the case. <coughs> it might've been something that happened in 1985, but still that doesn't make sense. Cause I don't think we had the internet three years before I was born in, in any way where you could, uh, you could make money off of it. Uh, by by having a cafe dedicated to a bunch of of of, of dog ass Mac thirty two computers or whatever the hell they were called. I digress. I'm going into this too much. The major issue here 
is that um, that's probably the most interesting thing that happens. She goes to a house, which is a weird house. She decides to stay at a bed and breakfast for no reason. She, first off, hates the sound of people and other sounds. So go to a hotel where you will be alone. Instead, she goes to a, uh, a bed and breakfast where the people are overly friendly. They're all in her shit. She hears stuff scrabbling around and making noises in the walls. And that's where our conflict comes up. Now, I haven't talked about much. She eventually finds out that there are, in fact, people being stored in the walls. There's a cockroach problem because some of the things are, are, are being uh, nibbled on and chewed on. But there are, are people being stored in the walls. They have uh, saline bags and the like applied to them. And uh, they're they're everywhere. They're all throughout the house. They have their eyes cut out, and, and and the people just drug them and keep them in there. The the people that run this bed and breakfast because they want they want them to feel peace. And um, I don't know. That makes sense. I, you know, if you know anything about nursing at all, and the uh, the 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 lady who helps run this place. A very, uh, very creepy, creepy woman played by, I'm pretty sure, Frida Foshen. Um, she, she's unnerving. But, you know, but she's also probably like the best actress in the show. The other actor, that's her husband. I can't remember what his name is. He's okay. He's a good, hi, I'm your husband. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a chubby Midwestern white dude. The girl is so dull. She's such a one note. Uh, character the actress plays her in that i don't know i don't know what the style is but you'll you'd recognize it the second you you saw it where people they just talk like this the whole time i don't emote anything above this i just don't want to talk to people i just blah 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 blah, blah. Gah, 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 gah. And, and it's not even like mumblecore where at least there's like some interesting like human dialogue coming from somebody that's uncomfortable speaking it's just Nothing. She's just she just vibrates out lines like a, a a broken radiator. She hisses the plot into existence, and eventually, that first story. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ends. And <laughs> uh, dumbly. In a, in a way that is is supposed to be, it's supposed to be suggestive that that she dies. And I was just like, uh. <laughs> and then we go to another story, and like I didn't even want to go into the second one, and we do. The second one is by far more interesting overall. It doesn't have enough time to really breathe, and um, the plot kind of trips itself into the ending. Um, the second plot concerns a, a woman played by, I don't know, she's not even, she's, I literally can't find their names on IMDb with their character picture, so I have no fucking clue who, who they are. Uh, and and I, I don't, I, it's so uninteresting, I don't want to look it up, so I'm not going to. She is a uh, professional skeptic kind of person you know like she she goes around and she uh, talks to um mediums and magicians and uh disproves them and 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 un uncloaks them as the charlatans that they are she comes across a young man who is uh a young man <laughs> he claims to be a uh, medium i don't know i don't i don't know why He's a medium. He, if you turn the lights off in a room that he's in, he'll scream. And then when you turn the lights back on, there will be uh, things written on the wall in blood, and I think feces, or at least stuff that looks like blood. Here's the kicker: um, we find out later, and by later I mean like literally thirty minutes later. This plot has no time to develop because we have to spend so long watching this teenage miscreant fart about on buses and whine about everything that we get to something that's actually at least a little bit interesting. There's horrible noises. This guy's a good sell. Yet again, all of the actors are are doing this same low voice talking. I'm not the kind of person that's going to be tricked by you. Like, they're like... It, it, <laughs> You can tell they read the story, the script like once, and they're like, ah, "Fuck, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch a paycheck off this and maybe a Razzie, so I'm I'm good." And uh, no one's no one's really trying to get into their characters, so you can't really get into their characters, which is especially odd considering you know this woman is a recently bereaved mother. Her child died of of some sort of awful cancer. He's a bald kid. Mommy, do you? What happens when I die? Is it gonna hurt? And she's like, uh. No, fucking, I'm gonna lie to you, and and so that happens. <laughs> and then uh, she gets a videotape from this guy. This guy gives gives her um, a big story about how it's real, and then um, he cons her. She he goes into a room and they turn the lights off, and when they turn them back on, oh, there's blood and blood and brown stuff on the walls. He must be a psychic. He also did a scream. Here's like where the entire story falls apart. Completely falls apart. She just immediately believes him. She is a world-renowned skeptic, right? 
but she just sees all this stuff and one of them says mommy uh, you don't oh yeah i'm not sleeping i think that's what it was it's like what happens you just go to sleep when you die and that's it or something and it says i'm not sleeping mommy uh, and she's like oh well, that's that's it that must be that's a, that's a proof that's a proof of this like she wouldn't test the stuff on the walls to make sure it was blood like ah, does somebody have somebody has to clean that room it belongs to the university no one's just going to leave it there there's all these kids and uh it's it's really it's really kind of dumb and then they find the guy seizuring on the floor we find out later that his whole plan was he pays a janitor employed by the by the university to somehow get inside these like closed uh, cells, right? That they have these like interrogation room viewing areas. I don't know why just a janitor is allowed in there. It seems like that's that's like for experimentation and stuff. Like I I, I went to college. I'm I've seen like the science labs and stuff. I'm pretty sure general janitors aren't allowed to like go inside the like clean rooms and stuff. I hope not. I hope they have specialized cleaning crew, but this is clearly just a dude that mops the floors that just takes bribes to get into science labs, which also if you've been to a college, most colleges have endowments for doing research that has nothing to do with educating the kids that go to school there and keeping all the stuff in those areas completely secret and not letting anyone in there is like one of the most paramount things because that's how you do industrial espionage you you this school pays for this but then somebody else steals it and publishes it and then then they own it sort of bullshit so that's already just kind of hard to believe and then he says he went in there he paid that guy and he went in and painted some sort of highly specific disappearing reappearing ink shit on the wall. I don't know. He uses a very specific chemical term, but it's disappearing, reappearing ink shit. It is literally the plot from who framed Roger rabbit. Fucking come at me if I'm wrong. (laughs) The, uh, (laughs) I can't even the, uh, the, the crux of this is that he, he has to go in naked and do it. And she checks his mouth and stuff and touches his balls and makes sure that he's not hiding anything. But what he really did was he hit a spray bottle that makes all this stuff reappear in a vent that has no, that has no screws on it or, or, or is just like easy to fucking pull in and out. Like, so she did no checking of her own room beforehand and like would just go up to the walls. Cause I'm sorry. Even if you have like fancy disappearing, reappearing ink stuff, if you ever use that shit in real life, you can still tell something was on the walls like it was wet, like a liquid touched this wall. Dust is going to settle on it. You're going to clean dust off the wall. It's it's not it's not that easy. But then uh, the lights go off and he he retrieves this. Here's the thing. The the whole place is mic'd up so that you can hear him like breathing, shuffling his feet. So I guess he's just screaming loudly, clearly going to one side of the room and like <laughs> trying to scream over, <laughs> pulling this metal grate off the wall and then still screaming while he's pss, pss, spraying stuff. And then they uh, turn the lights back on and the spray has fully coated every inch of the wall and displayed all of the stuff. 
And that's his con. And I thought it was going to be that he made up the con and he really could do this stuff. And he's just trying to break up with the lady because she's much older than him. And he's a pretty hot, young, drunk boy. You, you find out like what, what happens after this is she buys that shit hook, line, and sinker. She never tests the walls. She never does a second experiment. She just, she just, she just fucking goes for it and starts up a whole cult, like a, a, a medium conversation society. And, and she's going to be embarrassed by it. And it's this whole thing. And then she finds out that he's cheating on her with hot young chick. Who's actually one of, one of the woman's students and she gets mad and he reveals his, his great swindle. (laughs) <laughs> which is so frustratingly dumb. I remember every fucking second of it. <laughs> I was watching this with my wife and just being like, what in the fuck are you talking about? Like, how, how is that even possible? The spray can, by the way, that he uses is like one of those little, uh, you know, like the super strong potpourri spray cans that people keep on the back of their toilet in some houses where it makes the whole room smell. It's that thing. And so that's that's what he uses to spray the entirety of a of a like fifteen by fifteen square foot cell. Every wall is covered. I think including the glass. So he's spraying the glass. It just it's it's patently patently ridiculous. But it's a good scene for a second at the beginning. That's the thing that sucks is before the reveal of that, it's actually kind of cool. And then the reveal happens, and you're like, oh fuck. And then you hope that it's going to be that that the twist is it's going to be real and it ends up being real, but it ends up being real for extremely dumb reasons and nothing to do with the guy. Oh God. And then we get to the third. I'm not even kidding. Then we just go to the third story. There's a, there, there, there's a, a a climax and a a final bit to this, but it's, it's, We get to the third story and we go back to a guy that was in the very first beginning of the framing device where this is a guy, I'm looking for the books of blood. Is this two dudes who are, I don't know why they're even really looking for it. I guess they think they're going to make money. They, they hit up some dude that owes them money and he hasn't paid. And he's like, no, I'm about to find the books of blood. And they're like, oh, you give me the books of blood. Eh? It's the typical, I'm a gangster. I'm a, I'm a fucking gangster. It's stupid as shit. I have no idea where this is supposed to take place. Uh, I, suburban Chicago, maybe, I guess. Uh, bordering on rural Chicago with uh, gangsters that dress like they're from the modern era, but for some reason uh, uh, speak like, like 1920s era fucking uh, toughs. Oh, my God. They're embarrassing. They go to find the books of blood. Ah, and um, everything goes wrong. It's, it's a big curse. It's a big curse. Uh, they die. That, that's what happens. They die. Um, nothing particularly interesting happens to them. It's quite literally the last 15 minutes of before the last 15 minutes of the movie. So it starts at like the last like half hour or so. So if you're doing the math in your head of how much I'm talking about this, you're like, that's a lot to be packed into a really small amount of time. But also you didn't talk about that first lady that much. And that is, you are correct. You are correct. So we get on to the, uh, we get into the third act 
or the fifth act. I don't even know. So we, we, we find out that, oh, girl from the first survived the thing that happens at the end of her story. And she's still alive. And she goes around and she says, oh, the misophonia. And you find out that why she ran away from home and developed misophonia is she convinced her, like, boyfriend to kill himself, which wasn't really brought up at all in her story. Like, she's tied to a suicide and all that stuff. That That's very clear. And the guy that was following her, we find out, is that dude's uh, dad. I wish he was a much more creepier person. It could have been anything, man. And this, these are the decisions that were made. So it's so dull. But um, we find out that she had him kill himself, but it's never really, really addressed. Like, I guess she just doesn't give a fuck that she did. She just kind of like is bothered by the after effects of it, which is mild guilt and misophonia. It could have been someone like, she's not like haunted by the dude's fucking ghost. Or, like, anything like that. So, you, at the end, she just goes back to these people and is just like, hey, put me in the, put me in the walls. I'm sad. I don't feel good. I just, put me in the walls. And they cut her ears out and her eyes out and she's in the walls. And that's, that's the end of Books of Blood. No, I'm sorry. We, second false ending. Then they cut to the lady from the second story and, and, and she's like, well, maybe your name's going to be in the book of blood decks. And I'm like, I hope not. Actually, you know what? I know it's not going to be because I'm not that fucking boring. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It is, it is just the most utterly dull movie I've seen in a while. I, I hate, I fucking hate horror anthologies most of the time and it's so weird because they have so much potential like they should be good i think the best one is the uh trick-or-treat trick-or-treat as a horror anthology is fire great framing device great middle stories and it all comes together and i think like it's not even really maybe supposed to be a horror anthology anthology i can't even remember if they're separated by credits in that but it's so good and it feels like one cohesive film with three great individual stories around it. And, and they have reincorporations and stuff. And this story, this, this book tries to do it. Everybody kind of, kind of, and I mean kind of, comes across each other at some point to some degree. And, you know, it's like that, oh, the, the, the big reveal. Oh, they, they were in the car that almost hit her. Oh, but it's, it's, it's so... It's just so dull. Let me tell you about something that's not dull. Hubie Halloween. Fucking Adam Sandler. The animal. Um, (laughs) I fucking hate Adam Sandler movies most of the time. Um, Because I feel like he doesn't give a shit. And he's just trying to make films. And I don't know if that's true. That's just something that people say about him. That kind of feels. Kind of feels like the case. Uh, but, but, you know, I can't get too down on the guy, but apparently he promised the world that if uncut gems, which I haven't seen yet, but I want to watch, uh, was snubbed for an Oscar, then he would make the worst movie ever for as a Halloween movie. And he came up with Hubie Halloween. I unapologetically love this fucking film. (laughs) It is trash. And it tries to be trash 
so hard and so well that I'm in it the whole fucking time. It's so insane uh, because, you know, you, you shit on like people like Adam Sandler. Cause it's like, oh man, you get budgets and you throw them away and blah, 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 blah. But dude, all of the people in his movie are fucking actors. They can act. The people that aren't actors that were like quite literally just jammed into it because, I don't know, Adam Sandler thought that they were goofy looking or cute or adorable or whatever. Even they are like directed into being characters. And it's it's insane. I watched this movie immediately after Books of Blood and I was upset that Adam Sandler didn't direct Books of Blood and and pack it full of his own people that are in his movies. Kevin James is in this film. Rob Schneider's in this film. I think I think Chris Rock might have been in this film for a second. I can't remember. Um uh Steve Buscemi's in this film. <laughs> it's and and they are they're all having a fucking great time. Like nobody like it's it's entertaining. Like it is what it is. It's a horror comedy. It plays on horror tropes. It is Adam Sandler literally telling Adam Sandler to go fuck himself through the lens of Adam Sandler. <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. I absolutely think you sh- I will say with a caveat, I was drunk as shit when I was watching Huey Halloween. <laughs> but I wasn't that drunk and I was crying laughing. I was I was unbelievably happy. I like I like Books of Blood was so boring it stressed me out. Like I'm getting to a point now where I, I kind of feel like I have to watch stuff. And um, when when you get into that point, like you can't just turn it off. So like if I had to watch Books of Blood, right? If like I was just like, hey, let's watch it, and we started watching it, and it was really really boring, I would have told Sam, my wife, like I'm I'm turning this off. I'm done. But now that I got to kind of talk about stuff for the podcast, and, and we're gonna get back to doing the YouTube stuff pretty soon, I uh, <laughs> I have to finish a lot of these. And some of them are so fucking bad that I get upset. Like I'm, I'm like physically angry at the at the show because I have to watch it. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, why are you why are you doing this? Why are you making these decisions? Why why is this the best product that you could put on screen? Like I'm fucking stuck here watching it, man. And you know I don't feel like that's a bad that's a bad call either because you know. If you're coming from Hollywood back in the day, I used to pay $20 to see fucking movies like this or you know what's $20 today, you know, 10 bucks at showcase cinemas like hey, let's go see this fucking whatever. It looks really cool. And then you go there and you're like, "Fuck, man, how much longer is this?" And I I never walked out of movies because I always I always thought that people that walked out of films were like, "Dude, you're a fucking pussy. You don't get to talk about it." Um but goddamn, like, so I just start, I just start thinking about the film, like, overly hard. That's why I'm going back to Books of Blood, because it's so, it's so dull and bad. And it's like, man, you guys had so much money that you got, you could spend on a film. Why not do other things? Like, why did you make any of these decisions that you made? Like, when you were sitting down, writing for 10 or 15 minutes, or however fucking long it took you to shit this script out, like... Were you not just like looking back at it and just saying like, ah, man, I don't think I, I don't think this is the show I want to watch. Or were they just, did somebody just say like, Hey man, here's $10 million in drug money. Use as little of it as possible on the film and then pay yourselves. We're going to, we're going to, 
we're gonna we're gonna launder this. <laughs> so we don't have to pay taxes. Oh my god, dude. That's that's the feeling I got from Books of Blood. Hubie Halloween. I I love Hubie's fucking thermos. A reincorporated element, a successfully reincorporated element. Hubie, played by Adam Sandler, is a Adam Sandler character. He is a uh, a, a man boy with a weird speech impediment. He talk like this. It's like literally the absolutely worst water boy, uh, Bobby Boucher, all of those mixed together and then amplified and run through distortion. He's not talking like this. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's fucking amazing. Uh, he has a thermos that he designed while he was in the Boy Scouts. And it's a, it's a, a, a universal tool. Which I haven't seen in anything in a while, and I didn't realize I missed. Um, if you don't know what a universal tool is, it's kind of like the uh, sonic screwdriver from from Doctor Who or uh, all of of Inspector Gadget's body. It's a tool that's always the same sort of thing, but it, it always has the uh, the item that you need. Batman's tool belt, and uh, this is a very much a universal tool in and of itself, where it's it's on its own. And it's got a retracting device, so it shoots back in his hand. He he breaks a window at some point and vacuums up the glass with it. It's a fucking grappling hook. I think it shines a light. It also it also has soup. But the only thing the only thing he ever has to refill is the soup, which is amazing because <laughs> it's a thermos. It should just have the soup, but he keeps having to refill the soup. Shut up, man! I don't care how fucking stupid I sound. I. It made me so happy. I watched the fuck out of that. I 100% urge you to get shit-faced with a friend responsibly. I don't know if you're legally allowed to say you should get shit-faced, but uh, I think you should go get drunk with a friend, sit down, pop on Hubie Halloween, and just let it wash over you. (laughs) You what is what is the overarching plot of it? I can't even remember. I think it's just Yubi wants to be taken seriously. Oh yeah, people keep winding up dead. <laughs> they keep disappearing, and uh, uh, yeah, they just disappear. And, and and they're trying to figure out who it is, and people start blaming Hubie because he's a fucking he's a fucking weirdo, and I would have blamed him too. It's not even like, oh, he's just a sweet innocent man. It's like Hubie is fucking weird. Hubie is weird and overbearing and awful and I love him uh, and he's everywhere at wrong constantly so so you know like um, the the thing where you see at the beginning of a, a movie sometimes somebody riding their bike is like hey nerd somebody throws something at him or they're walking down the hall that happens continuously through the whole movie no matter what's happening Yubi has to ride his bike everywhere. He doesn't drive. And anywhere he goes, people are throwing fucking... It starts with eggs, right? And, like, candy. And by the end, people are throwing, like, fucking, like, mufflers and shit at him. And it's always just, like, a three-second scene of him just, like, oh, 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 riding his bike. And just shits. He's just dodging shit as he's driving. Doing like uh, back back rolls and stuff and, 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 and 180 back rides. It is the dumbest fucking movie, but it's all heart. You can tell everybody was just like, dude, we're going to make 
the dumbest Adam Sandler movie we absolutely can. I do not doubt. I do not fucking doubt for a second that there are some kids out there that are going to pick up this movie unironically or ironically and just start watching it for the rest of their lives and in Halloween. Like there is some seriously, dude, there's got to be some 15, 16 year old fuck abouts like I was at that age. We're going to see this and be like, oh, this is the dumbest shit ever, dude. Hey, do you want to sneak beers out of my dad's fridge and fucking watch Hubie Halloween and get shit faced and then go throw eggs at the fucking trick or treaters? Everyone's going to go, yes. Yes, we want to do that. And they're going to continue doing that into their 30s and into their 40s, and then they're going to pass it on to their kids. That's what I think is going to happen. This is going to be the next fucking uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, or at least a, a parallel Rocky Horror Picture Show for people that are afraid of drag queens. Oh, Hubie Halloween, man. Like, if you have to have something. I think that's the, if I, if I have to, I wanted, I really wanted to talk about both of those specifically to compare them. You have to have something that your movie does. You have to have a goal to accomplish with any piece of art. Like, really. Um, uh, Lovecraft Country, I feel like, missed that opportunity. I don't know what goal they were trying to achieve. It wasn't telling, and I think that's the point is that they had tried to achieve a lot of goals and, uh, and, and ended up making a, a kind of confused and because of that at times very dull product. It wanted to be a show that was uh, a celebration of old pulp fiction serial type, um, you know, little miniature books. I don't even know what to call those pulps. Pulpies, I think is actually what you're supposed to say like a celebration of old pulpies and stuff and their relation to um, this young black man that grew up in the 1950s in Chicago. Well, I guess he grew up in the 1930s and 40s, but you know what I mean? Living in 1950s Chicago. But it also tried to be a really, like, uh, smarter than it actually was Um kind of critique on on race relations and and identity and stuff which is cool and i liked a lot of those parts but uh, not very subtle uh, kind of on the head it's called you know it's like i get it like, I, I know what you're trying to say if you move on to the next thing you can say even more stuff but if you stick with this one thing it's gonna be like any lecture dude any lecture that goes on for more than five minutes people just they turn it off and you just, they just keep going in and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And so you start subtle and then you stop being subtle and then you start explaining things and then you start monologuing. Like your character is actually monologuing what she learned. Like, okay, we, yes. Thank you, Lisa Simpson. We understand what you, what you learned at the end of, of this episode of the Simpsons. That is like eh, more than, more than one or two characters in, in Lovecraft country can't leave stuff unsaid but they tried to accomplish too much of that stuff. It also tried to be um, this cool sci-fi show and this this horror show, and, and and then there was all these little side plots, and nothing was resolved very well. And uh, it ended up being it ended up being confused. It really it lowered a show that started off as a ten. First episode's a ten to me. It was fucking amazing. If the entire show would have kept. Dude, literally just those that tight three-person cast and uh, 
that that plot thread of them going up into Lovecraft country, which is like um, foggy New England, that would have been great, but it wasn't. And so because he didn't stick to something, some chunk of your tree, you can have branches, but have a trunk for your tree. But if you don't, it kind of falls apart. With Books of Blood, they had nothing. Books of Blood is 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 three cards trying to make a a castle while sitting on opposite sides of a table. It, it it stands on nothing. If your if your goal is to scare people, you should have had scarier. If it was to weird people out, you should have had weirder stuff. And most of all, you need to have more human characters if you want me to give a shit about them. Everybody talks so much at length. A fucking Stephen King's thing. Well, you know, when I set out to to write a horror story, a lot of people I see they try to write stories about uh, incredible characters in, in 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 normal situations. I try to write about normal characters in incredible situations. Like there you go. That's the fucking seed from which any good horror story, really, a lot of almost any any story, starts. You don't have to be incredible. You don't have to be blah blah blah. Make the character fucking interesting. I don't give a shit what happened to anybody in Books of Blood because I don't fucking like them. I don't know them. Some of them I actively despise. The the main first girl character who's the first and and, and last person, I guess, to, to quote unquote die in the story is fucking, she's an abomination of a character. She's boring, also unlikable, also stupid. Stupid as fuck. Her decisions make no sense so you you end up just not caring and there's nothing that the, the 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 story tries to stick to there is no strong central pillar if you want to do that with a with an anthology uh, a halloween anthology you do trick or treat trick or treat is about following the rules of halloween what are the rules of halloween you follow the fucking rules of halloween or little fucking jack is going to come and fuck your shit up that's that's fucking I remember that because it's so good. That's your that's your central thing. Okay. That's what it and then you branch off from there and then you can do all kinds of incredible stuff because you can always come back to that trunk for solidity. And then uh, uh Hubie Halloween was just we're going to make quite literally the dumbest fucking Halloween movie that's ever been made and have a great time doing it and that's exactly what you get, dude. It's a blast. I will I would turn that on in the background of any Halloween party I was at um, at a certain time of night, and I think it would be I think it would be fire. Literally, the best time for that to be on is between like ten and midnight, which is right when like the trick or treat stop. The trick or treating is completely done, and you've kind of cleaned up, and everyone's a little tipsy, and you want to sit around and laugh at some shit. Right there, before you maybe go out to the bars at a. Uh, at around midnight if i if i was gonna if i'm gonna schedule your halloween for you there it is trick-or-treating six to ten six to eight eight to ten i don't know where it is i think most places it's actually six to eight now my neighborhood when i was growing up it kind of went to 10 p.m and no one said anything but who knows but then you still have like the kind of stragglers coming home and stuff and you know you clean it up you take your pictures right at 10 to midnight man we get the kids are going to bed put the kids to bed around 10 10 to midnight or send them off, I don't know, to play fucking watch YouTube videos and, and, and play some Among Us in the next room. I don't know what you modern parents are doing. Um, and then you just drink and talk and have Hubie Halloween on in the background. Go to the bars afterwards. 
All the other thing, all the other time, you know, Halloween, put your Halloween on around 4 p.m. That's the best time to watch Halloween on Halloween, not when it's dark out. Because if you don't remember this, most of Halloween takes place during the day, which I feel like no one remembers. It's a, the movie is a daytime movie. It's like kind of why it's really creepy. This dude's actually driving a car. I digress. Okay, folks, uh, before we get into the second half of today's program, let me tell you about our sponsor for the day, uh, Books in the Freezer podcast. Hey, are you looking for something spooky to read this Halloween season? Check out Books in the Freezer podcast. Each episode is full of recommendations of horror books within different subgenres. Looking for a haunted house story? They have an episode on that. Looking for stories about possessions? They have an episode on that. Each book is rated on the Joey Tribbiani scariness scales with the... <laughs> That's amazing. With the creepiest books going right in the freezer. Look for books in the freezer wherever you get your podcasts, new episodes every other Thursday. Um, I've actually been I've actually been uh, listening to books on the freezer podcast while I walk my dog um, every other day, and uh, it's solid, dude. They're they're pretty good, uh, and not only that, but she she talks to um, like authors and like other other people about you know the genre and other interesting stuff in it. So. Also, if you don't, if you, if you don't want just like a recommendations, but you also want to hear people like talking about books and like writing and like, like what you get out of reading stuff, it's a really good podcast for that too. And I, I really, I really enjoy it. So I, I, I highly, I highly recommend it, um, on the side as well as just being a, uh, as being a sponsor. I, I personally put my stamp of approval on that don't think that um that means that other people won't get that it's just if you're on the hlc i get to talk about your podcast at length if it's not if it's not on the hlc um it's just like normal commercials because you know people want people want that people want to know what's going on people want to know what's going on in gun cotton uh which i hope you guys i hope you guys are really enjoying but uh we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all that the um literature recommendation for this month is kill six billion demons by abaddon uh which is the uh, pseudonym of tom parkinson morgan if i had to go by tom parkinson morgan or abaddon i would choose abaddon uh this this webcomic has been going on for uh forever it is um it is uh it, it's uh, 7 years so far a little over 7 years in um in the making it started out as a uh, choose your own adventure style web comic on the uh Microsoft the Microsoft Paint Arcade or Microsoft Paint Adventures there we go forum which is uh, the birthplace of a lot of different web comics and if you don't know about uh MS Paint Adventures, man, you've probably never heard of Homestuck. And, you know, maybe I'll talk about Homestuck someday because I read all of that shit uh, on a whim. And it was, it's a, it's a trip. It's probably, I would say Homestuck is the most successful webcomic that has ever been made. I think the, uh, the merchandising is still out there. Uh, it, it was so successful. It launched the careers of random people that like made free music for it and created, um, some of the best received indie video games of all time, including undertale. Um, 
It's old, old, old Toby Hooper, I think. Toby Cooper. I can't remember his name, but it doesn't have anything to do with this. Anyway, Tom Parkinson Morgan, Abaddon. Um, he, he, he made this comic. It follows the adventures and growth of a young woman named Allison Ruth, who has a, uh, dimensional gate key, a God key shoved into her forehead one night while she's, uh, basically, uh, getting into some heavy petting with her, um, at the time boyfriend, Kaid. It, it, it goes wild from there. The <laughs> dude, it's almost hard to talk about. It, it, it's kind of hard to to nail down. She goes on some adventures, but the story itself is wild. It reads like um, myth and 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 legend, and is a a wonderful tribute to basically like and and also. Uh, a tribute and kind of a, a kick in the ass to to religion. A kick in the ass to religion as religion. Obviously, um, there's there's gods in this. There's 777,777 demiurge gods, demigod type gods, um, drawn down to a, a meager seven at the uh, at the time of the comic. There was a singular god for a while named Kisun, I think. And um, that's all way before the events of the comic. And his power was kind of lost. There's angels, there's demons. The cool thing is, is you would think just me saying religion and just those little bits of stuff that this is going to be a very Western, um, especially Western, mid-European, Catholic-based religion story and it is not uh there is the good the the plus to religions in this is basically abaddon just gives nods to every single sort of uh, religious artwork style and some that i think he created himself that you may have ever seen in your life it draws from hinduism buddhism uh Native American iconography type thing. Like, and you know, not like, like, Hey, he just stole this, but like quite literally like, Hey, this is kind of how I feel. This looks, what if this was also part of this? And what if the part of this, that it was, was, was lizard monsters from, from uh, another dimension. Then you, you kind of get, then you kind of get to where it is. And it is, it is by no means insulting or odd. None of the religions are actual real religions. A lot of the stuff that you hear has, um, connections to stuff but there is no like you know there's nothing nothing that you think you can predict you're going to see in this if i describe any of that iconography is is going to be what you what you find it is insane and it very much is its own universe um and it is a comic book it's a it's a it started as a web comic it's actually a comic book comic book it's published now but i still give it 100 percent indie cred it was not something that you know some fucking losers at dc decided you know what the kids are into today i've been talking to this brian michael bendis and what the children want is a 50th spider-man they've had spider-man that was a that was a peter parker they've had spider-man that was a miles morales but what if this this time we do a spider-man that's a that's a lois lane they're like well i don't think we we can we can do that sir and you're like oh why not (laughs) 
You know what? Now that I've said that, that's going to happen. It's going to be the first DC Marvel crossover. Lois Lane, Spider Man. Oh, she's already a she's already a fucking she's already a fucking reporter. Uh, she's got all the chops. She's going to be working at the at the at the World Bugle or the 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 the, the Daily Globe or whatever the hell I can't remember what, what paper Superman works at. The, the Daily Bugle, and maybe it is the Daily Globe. The Globe Bugle. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson and and, and, and Mr. Mystical Pixics. Um, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But anyway, you know, it's not it there is none of this that was done by committee. There is none of this that's not the singular expression of one person's creativity, and you can tell. And also almost Every single frame of this is like a fucking Where's Waldo painting level of complexity. There are page after page, page after page images that are long shots of a city from far out where you can see people buying you know, buying food at a market in a food vending area and you're in like a, like a, a bar place, you know, where everybody's doing this. And then in the very far distance, you can see people like doing construction. And by the way, the entire thing takes place in a, a area called the Red City with few exceptions when they travel out of it to, to the distant worlds owned by the, uh, the seven demiurges. And uh, the Red City is a um, celestial flat world that's massive, um, that is populated by the dead husks of prime angels, husks being like the uh, stone and steel and bone artifices that their uh, fiery souls inhabit to move. Prime angels are in the ballpark of a skyscraper or bigger in size. Some of them are smaller. And people live inside their hollowed out corpses and have for millennia. So like you can see just layers of layers of layers on stuff. Like I would not be surprised if, uh, if Abaddon didn't have a strong background, if not deep love of archeology, span because you can tell all of that is present here. Like you see places that look like all the best parts of like Morocco and Greece and Italy and, um, Prague in Czechoslovakia, you see like some Kun Germany, you see um, Mumbai represented, Hong Kong. I, I can't keep even naming cities. Uh, the one I, I haven't seen is anything like New York or LA, which makes me extremely happy. <laughs> legendary, legendary world cities, not from the North American content. Nope, nope, wrong, sorry. Chapultepec, places like. Um, uh, I cannot remember the name of it, but the uh, the great ziggurats all throughout South America and the South American jungles that rise up around them, and and and, and the uh, the Aztec ruins there, the Incan ruins up in the mountains, like those things, like where you have the big rope bridges and stuff. Those things are all represented and and combined in a way that makes it seem like the delirious fever dream of the human understanding of religion and history and and the way that these gods shape the mortal beings underneath them it's 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 really it's really fucking awesome i cannot tell you how cool it is there is uh 
very little predictability with, uh, you know, race or anything too. If you're worried about that, like it's every, every conceivable human shape I have seen represented on here. And also the unconceivable ones. Then you get into angels and demons, which walk freely around this world. They're not particularly special. They're more dangerous than humans. There are humans throughout the world because, the gods have, uh, they have different demands. Some of them do trading. Solomon David is the most sane of the gods. Very close to a, uh, I would say, uh, Mediterranean god head. He could be a very easy stand-in as a mix of uh, Jesus, Zeus, Muhammad, and like a, a few others from that that sort of region, and his that that sort of regional understanding of of monotheism is kind of represented in how he's worshipped, and uh, the, the 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 worlds that he's built for himself have a a very distinct architecture to them, which are are unique to him because he's made everything look like it. And then you have other demiurges like Gog Gog, which is a sentient mass of worms the size of many, many, many planets spread out over the universe, uh, which is wild, right? And Gog Gog is its own thing. And then you have Incubus, who is the god of dreams and um, is has a very, very pretty dream self and his real human self is a decrepit um, albino... Uh, hobo thing that lives at the base of a square tower filled with blood <laughs> fucking awesome right uh you have modem who is a um i would say she's she reminds me a lot of like and going out from the mediterranean into persia and then pushing all the way up into uh southeast asia any 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 sort of um, conqueror dynasty that existed. and that- Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused, Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, 
West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.